Welcome to the Happy Sensory Corner and Special Education Podcast, where we ask the leaders in special education to share their insights and experiences with the audience in an effort to better understand how to support students in special education. Before we start our interview, I'd like to introduce our guests today. Our first guest is Charles Bertram, who's a special education director at the Center for Academic Success in Arizona. Welcome to the podcast, and thanks for being on the show today, Charles. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Awesome. And we're also here with Claudia Palmeras. Um, she's the creator of Sensory Enrichment Therapy. She's also the Chief Science Officer at Mendability, where they provide a unique program called Sensory Enrichment Therapy. It is an evidence-based brain stimulation program to improve behavior regulation and learning abilities of all students, especially those students who struggle the most. She'll be doing a short training at the end of our interview. Thank you, Claudia, for being with us today. Well, always my pleasure. <laughs> And my name is Christine Reeds, and I am an occupational therapist for a school district in Idaho. And I'm going to be your uh, your host today. So to start with Charles, tell us a little bit about what inspired you to get into special education. Um, I come from a family of special educators, so of course I was never going to do that. Um, my mother <laughs> was in it for 27 years, and aunt, I believe, was in it for about the same amount of time. So. I was going to college uh, after I got out of the military to become an accountant. And I was asked uh, by the chancellor's wife, who was the financial aid director. I'd been working on some legislation with the chancellor there in the state of Arkansas. And they asked me if I might want a part-time job uh, to compensate a little bit. So I went in as a, um, a tutor in a school and started working with kids who were going back to school to get their GED. One thing led to another. And found where I wanted to be up. I was supposed to go in and be the old army sergeant that was going to go in and straighten all these kids out and quickly learned that uh, that wasn't the tactic that was going to work. And so we went a different direction and I changed my degree and moved into special education. Wow. Awesome. Um, so moving on, what do you think is the biggest need for special education students in your school district? I thought we only had 30 minutes. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, it is absolutely one, one of the biggest needs is the sensory element. Um, our kids are 100% uh, inundated constantly with uh, noise and with, with life, I guess you would call it. Um, it is just seems like a constant inundation. And I'll give you a, a short example of that. Um, Recently, we've had some uh, one group of students that have struggled a little bit more than the others. And and I think it was about two, maybe three weeks ago, I had three students in my office. None of them had talked to each other about the conversations that we had and everything. And they were just being disruptive and creating chaos in the classroom. And all three of them, almost with the same wording, when they come time to leave, said, do I need to leave? And I said, well, yeah, you don't want to hang out in the principal's office. And they said, well, I kind of do. And I said, why would that be? Wow. They said, it's quiet here. These are the kids that are making all the noise, disrupting the class all the time, creating, you know, that's exaggeration, of course, but interrupting a lot and causing a lot of the chaos. And all they wanted was quiet for a minute. 
I've had several students ask me here recently, can I go to ISS? Why would you want to go to ISS? It's quiet. And, you know, I, I think back to when I was in self-contained classrooms, when I was a teacher and everything, and especially one district that I was at here in Arizona, they had a magnificent sensory room. And I, it was the, one of the neatest things I've ever seen. And, and I kept thinking back here recently, you know, I remember how much I liked taking students in there and sitting with them while they de-escalated and while they calmed and how, how good it was for me. And, and I, I can only imagine in, in the kids' worlds these days how they feel with this inundation of, of what I call it noise, just constant noise, it seems like. Wow, that is a really amazing story that you just told, because I know I appreciate it. I go out in nature every weekend to get away from everything. So, yeah, that's amazing that the kids were able to articulate that, too. They just want to be somewhere where it's quiet. Yeah, that, it, it's amazing that they would they would automatically think that, even though, again, they are the ones that are creating a lot of the noise. And I think it's just we, we know that we know that uh, that that children will 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 mirror the atmosphere. Um, and I think that's a lot of times what's happening. And, and we're failing to understand, I think, in education these days, like I keep telling everybody, this is a different world we live in. And the old ways of, hey, everybody get in your chair and sit down and quit messing around. It, it just doesn't work because they don't respond that way. That's not how they're, they're, they're not used to any um, conversations like that. And it's not how they respond. And as an occupational therapist, uh, we've been trained, too, that some of the loudest kids are the ones trying to block out the other noise. So that is their way to self-regulate, to kind of not have to hear everything else, just kind of to block it out. But wow, that's quiet... incredibly affirming. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like it in those cases, right? Yeah. Um, so what, let's see, what do you think the, the biggest need is for your special education staff then? Um, training. It, it, it's it's training. And of course, it's the one thing that we don't ever have time for. There's not enough hours in the day. There's not enough time on a professional development day to cut out to do all that. But absolutely, I think some of them need need the training on. on and I, I do training. So I train at our annual uh, special education conference. Um, we have a, an initiative here called Every School Succeeds Act, and I'm going to be training in it this year in front of all the teachers from Arizona. But we and I, I train our staff a lot on and I call it de-escalation, but it's changed a lot over the years. And I really need to change the title, but I don't know what to. But it's understanding how to deal with our kids. So instead of learning, you know, that these are techniques that you need to calm them down. Sometimes it's things that I need to do to create an environment where they can be calm and understanding what they're doing. You know, I, I say all the time, all behavior is communication. It's communication. They're trying to tell you something and, and you need to be able to read that. Uh, we've been working a lot on training on relationship building. Um, it, and it, this is not personal. Yes, we are a very people-y um, career field. But student behavior is and 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 their struggles isn't isn't personal. I, I tell our teachers often that our kids don't go home at night plotting and conceiving on how they're going to destroy your day tomorrow. They really don't think about you that much. Um, but that is things we need that are those are things we need to think about 
when we come into the classroom i i have a uh, i have a saying and i took it from a friend of mine that is a teacher up in the phoenix area and she said your attitude enters the room before you do and it is absolutely true i'm gonna write that down <laughs> and i tell them uh, there's three things that kids can do they can smell fake fear and frustration and they will manipulate those Oh, yes, exactly. And um, we were just talking to someone else in your field about uh, self-care for the staff and how important mm -hmm. that is. So, th so this is kind of along those same lines is yeah. what you're talking about. Absolutely. Uh, my, my wife uh, left education after 20-something years and became a mental health professional. And uh, she's helping me put together in January, we're having a professional development and it's going to be a 100% self-care professional development. Uh, we're going to bring in people from the community, mental health counselors, uh, 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 life coaches. Um, I'm hoping to bring in a massage therapist. And we're just wanting to bring in and pamper our teachers for that little part of the day. It's one little thing we can give back, maybe. That sounds wonderful. I mean, with so little time that you do have for training, and then you're putting it back into them to show them how to take care of themselves first, because it starts with themselves. Right. And we know that third quarter stretch is murder. <laughs> so, yes. So that's why I'd like to give them a good pat on the back before we send them into testing and everything else. And without a lot of breaks there. <laughs> no, that's, again, it's the hard part of the year. Yes. So what is the last program or idea that you brought to your school district that was particularly successful or possibly a story that wasn't something you brought in that wasn't successful and how did you learn from that you know there, there's something that we're doing right now and, and i i don't know the success of it. it it's very hard from the principal's chair um because most of the time you're inundated with everything that's not working and every once in a while you get somebody that comes in and i have some, one of my staff that goes hey would you like a win today and they come in and tell me something now I say that and it sounds like it sounds almost nihilistic, but it's not. We just made uh, a status with the state as a school. We just got our Cognia certification as a 100 top 100 schools of distinction. And our local newspaper readers voted us number one school in Cochise County this year. So we've got some good things going on. But I, I always say that that's the hardest part. Now that now that you're being recognized as a rock star, you have to maintain that. And that's the hard part. But when I started um, January of last year, I started a conversation with our CEO and we were at a conference and they said, what are two things that you feel every day when you come to your school? And of course, I was seated at the table with the CEO and that was my table partner. And <laughs> well, and I said, well, um, excitement and frustration. And I said, we are an amazing school. We have some amazing people. Our families are incredible. Our students are wonderful. Some of the best teachers I've ever seen. But we could be better. And she asked me this question that you asked. She said, what would you put in place that would change our school? And you wouldn't be frustrated. I said, well, I'll always be frustrated because we'll never be good enough. But <laughs> um, a sense of community. There needs to be an atmosphere within the school and every teacher training that you go to um, or ever not ever teach training every class that you took when you were going to become a teacher the first day of school you know they always ask in the college level who is a teacher that inspired you and everybody always remembers that 
Yes. Well, mine wasn't a person that inspired me in a positive way. Mine was someone that inspired me in a negative way because she said some things that weren't so kind at one time. And she was probably right at that time in my life. <laughs> and uh, I took those and I thought, you know what? I, I can do that. I can do whatever I want to in life. And it inspired me a lot. But I also come from West Texas. And, and most people here in West Texas, the first thing they think about is uh, Friday night lights and football. And so some of those little towns around there, you you go to kindergarten and the first thing you do is get a T-shirt that has the logo of the local school, you know, the football team. And I said, you get that. And the day that you get that, you are a part of that environment for the rest of your life. And our CEO said, well, we don't have sports. And I said, no, that's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. And I can give a prime example. One of my friends that years ago when I was back in my local area teaching and coaching at a school, he was one of the coaches and I got the principalship here and I texted him a message and said, hey, I just made principal of this school. Blah, blah, blah. And he wrote back, go mules. <laughs> <laughs> so it it goes on and on and on forever, these little but it's that community, it's that vol involvement, that's that buy-in. And I, I think it's not only vital for our teachers to feel that, but I think it's vital for our kids because some of our kids don't have anybody that cares that they got up and came to school that day, other than the fact that they may be out of the house. And that's the that's the win for those. So when they come here, they're looking for more than just the free before and after care the free meals that we provide, the instruction we provide. They're looking for a family. They're looking for people who, no matter how I always say, you know, a lot of our kids, um, they've had very few people that sometimes believe in them very little. And buddy, when you tell them that you care about them, they're going to test you and find out if you really mean that. Mm -hmm. And and it's going to, I always say it's going to get worse before it gets better, but those people are going to find out if you really believe that, if you really think they're a part of the family. Because, you know, family, sometimes people act up <laughs> and uh, they're going to find out how much you really believe in what you say. So I want to spread that across. And and it, it, it's it's been difficult. Um, we're having to make some hard decisions. We're having to have some tough discussions with people, you know, about their level of commitment to this kind of an idea. I mean, it's this is a very low paying, um, high stress um but highly rewarding job. Mm -hmm. But you have to make sure that you're doing the things you can to make that all of those things happen. Right. So in your school district, how are you um, developing that sense of community since you brought that up to your CEO? And um, one, one thing that I did, um, again, most of my career was special education. Most of it was behavior. I was a behavior ed teacher. After everybody in the district was done with you, you came to my classroom. <laughs> and it, it sounds a little odd, but I loved to create an environment of it's us against them. And I often told people, told students, no one cares about you. They're done with you. No one wants you in their classroom. They don't want to teach you. They don't want to see you. So we have two options this year. We can prove them right or we can prove them wrong. Mm. And it's entirely up to you. But if you want, uh oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't move fast enough. <laughs> long enough. My light went out. So 
always told them, you know, if, if you want to do that, I'm your advocate. Well, in that environment, you walk into the room, usually not everywhere, but in many cases, you walk into your room on the first day of school and somebody brings you a computer. They bring you some keys. They tell you the bell schedule. Uh, they give you your special education caseload and they say, thanks, have a great day and walk out. <laughs> so one of the things that we did to create this environment is we have created a binder an old school three ring binder. <laughs> and we have uh, some very new teachers. We have a second year teacher here. That's one of the best I've ever seen. And we put things in it like, you know, what to do if there's a fire drill, um, how to fill out a leave form if you need to take leave, um, what the bell schedule is, um, what to do as a mandatory reporter. If you have an incident where you have to be a mandatory reporter, how do you go through? So it's just a, a list of, and then we add to it every week because <laughs> somebody comes up and goes, you know what we need in that? <laughs> so now, and and I saw one of our long-term teachers who's been here a long time. I saw her yesterday walking around school with that binder in her hand. <laughs> and I thought, you know, at least there's one thing. You're not out there on a, on a limb by yourself. You you have people to support you, and our we've created a team to do that kind of stuff. Because I, I I did a presentation, like I said at the at the special ed conference this year, all about that and beyond burnout. We called it, and it was how to get people through being a school. And part of that is is being a part of that family. Part of that is knowing what's going on here all the time. Um, we're doing a lot of celebrations. We just made our A status, and. Uh, I, again, I'm an old coach, so I like I like celebrating. I like cheering. Uh, someone asked me one time. They said, "What is what is your greatest talent?" And I said, "I I, I hate those questions. <laughs> I really I just really do." And so I thought and thought and thought, and I said, "You know what? I'm a really good cheerleader. I like to cheer people on." And so Friday at one o'clock, we're going to go into our conference room for our professional bell. We're going to have all the teachers out in the hall. And they don't know what's going on. And so finally, we're going to unlock the door and let them in. And they're going to come through a tunnel as if they were going to a football game. <laughs> and we're going to be cheering for them. And then we're going to hand out certificates, you know, congratulations. Thanks for, thanks for your help in becoming an A school with the State Department of Education. Um, just bring them in and make them feel like they're needed and appreciated. And They're the stars, just like the football players usually are the stars. They are. They are. We we can do nothing without them. Yeah, and that's amazing. I love that story. Just something we came up with. I I I I've had the opportunity to build an incredible team. And uh oh, so I was saying we we brought I brought in this first grade teacher and she's one of those people that I she would call me in her classroom because she would be having trouble with a student. And I would go, so here's here's some ideas on a behavioral process. So she was the kind of person that she would take those. And if they didn't work just right, she would mm. tweak them. Oh, and nice. She'd come up with something new and she'd come back to me and go, so guess what I did? And blah, blah, blah. So our CEO is very much against top heavy administration. And I agree with that. But I said, I need an instructional coach. And she said, sell it to me. So I did. So I moved this lady in. She's an instructional coach. So now this person with all this experience, all of this knowledge is going in and just leaning in the teachers and just helping them. Where, where are you struggling? What are you doing? What's going on here? How can I help? Here's some ideas. And one of my special education coordinator come in today and he's doing an observation on a student for a behavior intervention plan. And he goes, 
I just talked to her for 20 minutes. Do you know how much knowledge she has of each and every student? And I said, I absolutely do. And that's why she's in the job she's in. Wow, that's amazing. So just creating that team environment. It is so, true. So important in that community um, environment as well. I agree. But yeah. Um, have you experienced any challenges when you try to do these things by creating community? Yeah. Yeah. There are people that don't want to be a part of a community. There are people that come to work because it's a job. And I have a hard time arguing with that. Um, I often say the things some of us have done and the way we've done them and what we've put into it is not right. We haven't been compensated for it. We haven't been recognized for it. And I understand how people can say, no, I'm sorry. I'm not going to come in at 630 and stay till 530. I, I understand that. I absolutely do. But I, I have a hard time understanding how you would stay in this career field and not have a level, some extreme level of commitment. Exactly. And I, and I don't say that flippantly because I myself have been in places before that I was like, you know, I, I don't know how I'm going to come in here one more day. And, and I've had to force myself to do that. So I understand. And that's when they come to me. And if someone comes to me and says that, I'm going to tell them what you need to absolutely do what is best for you because in 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 the end that trickles down to the kids again that self-care piece yep gotta take care of yourself first before we can help others it's true and and we don't need to try to do <laughs> so, um, my wife uh likes to say life will get easier if you don't try if you quit trying to force everything <laughs> it took many years to figure that out <laughs> But it's true. If you don't fit, if if you're a peg that doesn't fit in that shape of hole, it, it may be time to do something else. And then those are hard conversations. Um, hard conversations for for people who who are underpaid, who are you know asked to do more and go above and beyond. And so it's yeah. There's a there's a lot of there's pushback sometimes. Um, we live in an age where everybody's bullied. Um, and and, and in, in fact, we do have a lot of problems. We, we have kids that can't keep their hands to themselves. It's something we've seen ever since COVID. Um, I think it's that, I, again, I think it's a sensory thing. I think they're looking for some kind of sensory input and they just touch and touch and touch. <clears throat> so then you have those hard conversations, you know, even with, 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 uh, teachers and with families and one thing we do with teachers you know i need eyes on kids all of the time well when do i get my time right yeah I, I get it i get it so there's there's some pushback on that there's some difficulty um you know the families are a bigger part of the school as everybody but we have to understand that everybody's not going to buy into our model um they don't want to participate the way we want families to participate and that's a struggle sometimes. And then we have the other was um, that uh, we just had a big celebration last week. Um, my special ed teacher in the elementary school said, we're fixing to have to hold a bunch of IEPs. And I said, why are we going to have to hold a bunch of IEPs? She said, I've got uh, 30 goals among different students that have been met in the first quarter of the year. So we're going to have to do some addendums 
And I said, I wonder how we got off strategic improvement in special ed. <laughs> Must be because we're working with kids. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Not everybody wants to be a part of that community. Um, a lot of people push back on that, especially in the special ed realm. So, Yeah, it's not an easy job. Absolutely not. No, but I wouldn't want to do anything else. Well, I guess principal is another thing. <laughs> I have that dual role now. but Right. The potential for growth is so much more there in the special ed, I think, as a teacher yeah. there than anywhere yeah. else. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's fascinating to watch. I was, I was one of those people that said in 2020, you're not going to do speech and OT virtual. It's not going to work. And I was absolutely we wrong. <laughs> right. I was wrong again. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing what we can do given circumstances, right? It, it's amazing. Yeah. It is. So back to um, sensory as being your number one um, need with special education. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about sensory interventions in your district? Um, like, is there one that works particularly well or just what kinds of things do you do, strategies and tools? You know, it, it sounds uh, archaic and and um, everyone will go, well, of course you're doing that. But I really want to emphasize, um, we're using the noise canceling headphones I mean, I've used them and I've used them and I've used them, but I have never seen the amount of children who are benefiting from from the noise canceling headphones these days. Um, again, I think it's maybe just all of the noise that that they live with in their daily lives and, and at school and everything. <clears throat> I, I I think it might have something to do with some of the isolation. I mean, we know we know the difficulties with uh, speech language pathology now after having kids that were. Uh, um, were taught online and with masks on, but the uh, but the noise canceling headphones are a big thing. Um, letting them have some kind of fidget in the room. Um, one thing that we're finding that we're using as much as anything, and, and I consider it sensory, <clears throat> is if if a child is 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 feeling like they're in, in distress and that they're needing a break out of the classroom, rather than uh, raising their hand, calling out, being recognized, they can simply, we have now that you can simply take a card and you can walk up and place it on the teacher's desk and walk out of the room. And there's a designated place that everybody knows they're going to. You can quickly send a text message to somebody letting them know they're coming there and everything. So that way it doesn't have to uh, exacerbate the, uh, the overload. <clears throat> by having those come, what do you want now? You know, or, mm -hmm. so we're doing some stuff like that. Um, we have actually a student here at our school that his mother is an occupational therapist and she's very much a sensory person. And she was telling me the other day that she said, you need more activities where kids go in circles, where kids turn in circles, like the old fashioned merry-go-rounds. She said, there's a connection with the brain. Um, I'm also doing a lot of cross-brain exercises, mm -hmm. and this comes, of course, from my wife, who is the mental health professional, and she says that you can move something across the plane of your brain for two minutes, um, and she says, amazing, uh, a client that has, you know, devastating anxiety, you can watch them do that three uh, repetitions of two minutes each, and you'll watch them just forget that they were even anxious mm -hmm. about anything. 
Yeah. The facial expressions change. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm I'm becoming a big student of mindfulness. Um, it's something that I'm studying uh, right now, and and some of the exercises that I that I do um, are having. We have a class that is specifically uh, very difficult, and they're the ones that the three kids came out of that told me that they just needed a quiet or they wanted to be in a quiet place. Um, there's no way to keep them quiet for 30 minutes at a time. And I said, challenge accepted. Um, I went into the classroom and I did a mindfulness exercise. And, you know, it's where we're sitting in a chair and we're going to close our eyes and we're going to feel our hands on the table. What does that feel like? How do our arms feel on the table? How does our back feel on the chair? How do our legs feel on the chair? How do our feet feel on the floor? And we talk about that kind of stuff. And then we start doing muscle tension and relaxation. (laughs) And just continue doing that all through there. And for 31 minutes, those kids sat there and participated in that exercise with me. And I I had it to where I, I had my teacher voice going. But the further I went along and the further I went along, the more I softened my my voice and we talked in a lower tone. And I talked about relaxing and feeling that way. And I, I literally watched a kid's face in the back just melt. I mean, he just wow. really, you watch the shoulders drop. You watch the facial expression go down. And I was like, ah, oh, this is great. Sounds like you have a second job already <laughs> in the works. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a few years from retirement. So I don't know if I, I thought I would always go into speaking. Uh, which I really like doing in front of groups of people, but I don't know. Maybe it will be something in mindfulness. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really a student of it. Now I've started reading a lot about it and they're saying that you can change your health. uh, One of the, one of the authors that I'm reading, she calls it chronic mindfulness. Um, And she Mm -hmm. says, change your health. Um, Absolutely. just by thinking about it. I know we're understanding the brain connection a lot more now than we used to previously. So mm-hmm. just by slowing down a little bit too. <laughs> yeah. We tend to want to be so productive, I think. <clears throat> we do. We do. There's only so many hours in the day, you know, so we've got to make them all worthwhile, but that doesn't always work so well. Right. And like your wife said, just relax and everything will get easier, right? Yeah. Something to that effect. That's a difficult lesson. <laughs> I think it's a good one. It goes along with your mindfulness, though. Yeah. 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 I've always been, a, I, I want it to happen now. And I want, and if somebody else doesn't make it happen, yeah. I'll make it happen. Right. And uh, sometimes that's not the best policy. Right. So uh, what is your mission or vision as a special ed director? Well, I used to always, I used to always think that it was, you know, to see our kids reach their potential and to move up and to feel that they're um, sometimes I always said, especially within this in the life skills classroom with, you know, what we used to call severe and profound and that stuff. I would say uh, I want them to have the best eight hours of their day while they're here with us. But I'm learning. Um, I really like seeing people exited from special ed. You know, we've always thought that, and I did too, I bought into it, that special ed was a life sentence. They're going to get read into the program and they're going to stay there till they graduate um, um, high school and maybe beyond. And and I sat back one time when I was in the last life skills classroom that I was at and, and, and a parent came in and said, 
I mean, I know it's his senior year, but what can we extend this to? And I said, well, he's he's been in high school for five years, nonverbal, autistic. I said, how would you like to do high school until you're 22? I think that's when we started seeing a lot of the behavior issues that we had because kids were getting frustrated in that program. And that's why some of the older kids that were in the program, I think, were how we were seeing some behavior problems with them. I mean, how many times do you need to do the same curriculum in a life skills classroom? So not only that, seeing a lot of these kids nowadays that especially with the COVID and the issues there, I think we're being able to remediate a lot of that stuff. And we are here at our school. We're exiting kids. And it's it's one of the, I told them the other day, 30 new goals in the first quarter. And they're like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, no, you don't understand. That's not, no, that's unheard of. That's huge. I've never heard that in my life. Never heard too, that in my life. Too bad the paperwork trail has to follow that, though. <laughs> With <laughs> it's extra true. meetings. It's but true. Yes. And, and then parents are going, well, why are we doing What the world's going on? You know, and I'm like, no, no, no. This is a celebration. We're excited. Everybody cheer. Yes. I think exiting kids from special education, giving them the tools to function without all of that extra. And I'm seeing it with the OT. I'm seeing it with the speech language pathology. I'm seeing it in all areas. So I think that's kind of my vision of the future. And when I wrote my uh, first master's level of research, I, I said, well, I see special education or every student in the United States having an individualized plan within 10 years. But I can almost see us going the opposite way now. And I'm, I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I do want to see special ed get more involved in the mental health part, but I don't know how to do that. That That is difficult. And um, in er some areas, it's more difficult than others because getting mental health professionals is getting harder and harder um, due to the rigors of getting them licensed. And Yeah, I don't know about that piece, but I do know I've been hearing it from a lot of special ed directors that mental health is becoming a bigger and bigger um, challenge. Yeah, across the board. <clears throat> so we're going to move on to Claudie. Having heard all of this, what do you have in mind for our training session today? Um, what sensory enrichment tools or strategies can we offer our listeners that would be helpful at this point? Well, of course, I took from listening to Charles and I was very intrigued and interested by the comment you made about kids having their hands everywhere. And hands are certainly the most expert tools that we own because we're always touching things. The issue uh, comes with the kid needing a lot of information, grabbing this information, so to speak, with the hands. And um, it doesn't go uh, somewhere better. It sort of stays in the same area. And when kid was going to be always doing that, will be doing that. So um, being an expert of the brain, my point would be uh, let's use their hands to create more connection inside the brain that they can use to learn. Uh, in one of our podcasts, I talked about the fact that a lot of those kids do not have a very valid mental image. They do not see within. They don't see themselves succeed. They don't see themselves even alive in a day, right? They just live for the instant. That's why they need 
to be told by the noise or by the reactions that they're there. So one way uh, to be using their hands to create brand new connections in the brain and in uh, without a context of um, a learning process, they don't think they are learning and it's probably a game that some of them have played. So for that, you would need a pillowcase dollar store, uh, 30 pillowcase for the classroom or one only, basically a bag. And in the bag, you put random objects. Uh, so because I, I have tons of stuff, I have a chair and I would have a little tree and, and a pen. We're not. Let's stay school-wise saying. So you would put the objects in the bag and you have the same objects on the table they're there they, they can see them because if we tell them there is something made of wood in there can you go fetch it uh, what all kids will do and nonverbal kids will play that exercise you model and whatever they do they may not fully understand the instructions but if you model they'll go in and grab something what happens when your hands holds an object that you do not see. Well, you are creating a sensation, the sense of touch that is very good for them. But you say, okay, now you point to what you're touching. Don't take it out. Put it on the table. What are you touching? Or what are you holding? So the hand has to send to the sense of touch, which is on the top of the brain, right? Like uh, on both sides, you have a, a band of uh receptors and translators and one for every piece of the body so the hand has to send that information to the sense of touch in the brain and the brain has to create an image what is it so that the kid can point on the table to the same object it takes a few seconds maybe two minutes we were talking about short things that we want to be doing what happens also are two things. First, release of serotonin in the brain because the sense of touch translates sensory information. So you need to be using serotonin. And if you do three or four objects, okay, there is a sensory organization and serotonin is released and used and released and used. So we improve the function. Next time the kid can touch and understand without seeing all the time. So we have release of serotonin and we have focus. You describe those kids really well. They don't have focus unless with what you did with the, the sort of meditation, focusing on your right. body, focusing on your hands, focusing. They are for a few seconds focusing on the content of the hand that they can see. So this focus is valid because it has a purpose and they can create a reward because oh when they take the hand out and they have pointed to the chair they have recognized now we are going to do it with both hands because we want definitely to populate the sense of touch on both hands and gradually because it's new you do not do that you don't see with your hand so by doing it, and if you were to be doing it for a few, like one or two minutes every day, 
the population of connections for the hands is going to increase. And there is uh, an improve of the release and function of dopamine, which is the one that says, oh, you're pretty smart person. And so that is a sensory exercise that is simple, that will really keep the kid at his chair or on the floor. We don't care where he is going to play that. You can have uh, an older kid uh, playing with a nonverbal younger kid like you can use. I love the community concept that you have brought up. We can make that also in the classroom or between classrooms. And um, so that's one little way to improve the population of uh, connection in the brain, which will be used for learning and using your hands more productively, maybe. What do you think? I really like that idea. I'm, I'm already envisioning how I could set something like that up, even with a box, maybe with two holes in it, and they could reach in and feel through the things. That's very interesting. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you, Cloudy. And I really like, too, what you were saying about when you make noises, it might be help to giving yourself input for your, you don't have a good self-image. Mm -hmm. Or is that the words you use, Claudie? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's probably lots of different reasons why kids make more noise. And we don't, we just assume, well, he's just being naughty. But there's right. more, more to it than that. So I like to hear that. Thank you. And thank you so much, Charles, for being a guest on our podcast today. And um, I'm so glad you were able to join us. So that's it for our podcast for today. Thank you so much. I've very much enjoyed being here. Well, thank you. Yes, I enjoyed to hear from both of you.